in my world, the football world, most people, you know, at 38, didn't think that would happen to him. But um, it can happen to anyone. And I think that my story is a, a scary one in, in many ways that can happen to someone at 38 was obviously fit. I'm Charmaine Griffiths, Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation and host of this special series of podcasts celebrating 60 years of pioneering research into heart and circulatory disease. As part of this series, I wanted to speak to some of our ambassadors and VIP supporters to learn more about their own personal health journeys and how the BHF's research has played a role in transforming or even saving their lives or those of loved ones. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we meet Graham Souness, who is a man who needs little introduction, but for those perhaps not in the know, uh, Graham is a former professional footballer and manager. He's probably best known for captaining both Liverpool Football Club and the National Scottish team and managing both Rangers and Liverpool. And Graham is, of course, now a pundit for Sky Sports, and we are absolutely honoured that he's also an ambassador for the British Heart Foundation. So, Graham, a warm and big welcome to our podcast. No, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Well, it's great to have some time with you today. And I know that many people who are listening into our podcast have been touched by heart disease themselves and have a, a close relationship with the British Heart Foundation, as I know you do. But I wonder if I could ask you to start by perhaps sharing a little bit of your experience and taking us back right to the moment at which you got your diagnosis. Yeah, I actually never had any um, any attack. I never had any obvious symptoms. I was managing Liverpool and this is going what, 1991. I was managing Liverpool, obviously a very high pressurized job. I think what first made me go and see the doctor, I mean, I wasn't sleeping, but looking back, I wasn't helping myself because of my lifestyle. I had recently um, split from my first wife and I had three years on my own. And maybe those three years were, apart from being a very, very difficult job and a pressurized job, I didn't really help myself with, with my lifestyle. You know, a morning for me would train with the players have lunch, do a bit more in the afternoon, go back home, rest up a bit, and then go back in the gym. I, when I finished playing, I actually got whatever it's called. I got, I just couldn't leave training alone, and I was training too much. And on top of that, I wasn't sleeping. Anyway, I decided because of my family history, my family history was um, is not good in terms of coronary artery disease. I had two uncles on my father's side who died in their mid-30s. So with all this going on, I decided to go for an ECG, and that came up quite normal. They then suggested, well, if you want to take it a step further, an ECG on the treadmill. And I did very well on that. And at the end of that, the doctor said, well, there are there's, there's signals there which are saying there's something going on. But the fact you did 18 minutes on this, this protocol, which suggests there's not a lot going wrong um, with your function. So he said, you've got two choices. You could You could go one step further and have an angiogram or... You could just forget about it and come back in a year, two years' time. So I said, I'll leave it. And then again, with the sleepless nights, you, you know, you, for people who, who um, don't sleep very well or understand your brain is going when you're, when you're lying in your bed late at night, early hours of the morning, and you're thinking about all, everything that can go wrong in your life, you know, work-wise, personal life, health. So I decided to go for an angiogram. And then I, was, I had that. I was diagnosed on the, on the Thursday. And I had three arteries, this is after the angiogram, that were quite badly blocked. Um, but again, I have to, I have to emphasize, I, I didn't have any symptoms. I was training. I was doing all the, I was training like professional football players. I was 38 years old. The only thing I wasn't doing was playing at the weekends. So I was, oh, I, I, you know, great fitness at the time. And maybe that was masking over the issues I had. So I ended up um, having this angiogram on the Thursday. 
when I got the results, I said, do me right away. And I went, I went back on a Tuesday and was operated on by um, a guy called Geer Grotter up in Cheshire. The recovery, I'd made my mind up again. I'd come back to, I think I was 38 at the time. I'd come back to, I am, um, it was a shock to the system to say the least. You know, I can remember standing, looking in the mirror because I, you know, I still had my fitness. And I'm thinking, how can this happen to me? You know, when you're standing there cleaning your teeth um, and you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, no, this shouldn't be happening to me. Mm. It wasn't anything I did that was hereditary, you know, because I'd looked after myself in terms of what I ate, limited alcohol, and trained since I was 15 years old. You know, I trained vigorously, didn't carry any weight, never carried any weight. Um, so it shouldn't have happened to me, but it was down to family history and the, the genetics of it. So I um, had the operation on the Tuesday, and I told them I was going to be the best ever customer they'd ever had. <laughs> and so, and um, that was a mistake because I pushed myself too quickly. Anyway, after the operation, had gone really well. You know, psychologically, again, I, I keep coming back to this. It's, it's a difficult time for anyone who's had open heart surgery. You know, it does test you mentally and physically. But for me, it was it was a mental thing. Anyway, after 10 days, I collapsed. I got an infection and I collapsed. And um, they had to take me back in and open me up again, drain some fluid off the lungs, which I have to say wasn't a very pleasant experience. I was in, instead of being in sort of for 12 days, as it was in those days, I'm sure it's even shortened now, I ended up being in there for a full 28. And I came out, the infection had, had taken its toll on me, I'd lost a lot of weight, I felt particularly weak. And I don't mind admitting it now, emotionally it was difficult for me. I, I for people who follow football, might be surprised at what I'm about to say, but I, on a couple of occasions I had panic attacks when I got better and they felt I could go out in the grounds of the hospital, there was some woods there. And uh, on one occasion, I was walking through the woods and I thought, I'll take a shortcut back to the hospital. And I came up against a, a wire fence. And I thought to myself, if I fall over here now, they're not going to find me. And I can remember, you know, quickening my step to get back to the path again. And it was a, it was a panic attack. I, don't, I don't, don't, don't mind admitting that. Uh, and I felt extremely vulnerable. Um, and again, I come back to cleaning my teeth, looking in the mirror, and all of a sudden I've got a big scar down the middle of my chest. It wasn't a good time, but. I'd met a new lady by then, and um, she was an enormous help, who's now my wife. We've been together for the best part of 30 years. I think it was 29 years last month. So she helped me through it enormously, Karen, and I've been very fortunate in that respect. Again, going back, because it was so long ago, and I think there's, I think there's um, obviously a lot more knowledge and the techniques have improved. I mean, as, as, as good a job as Gear Grotta did on me, you know, no one, no one warned me that, you know, there'd be psychological issues. When I say psychological issues, I mean... I was a young man, you know, I was, I was aggressive in my workplace. I was, you know, I was full on. And we'd be sitting having dinner. We'd be in bed and, and I would have tears rolling down my, my cheeks mm -hmm. for no obvious reason other than, you know, just to talk what had happened to me. And I, I, I certainly don't mind admitting that. And for anyone who's had the operation, maybe they can relate to that. And it's just no, nobody warned me. And I would have... Uh, if I'd been warned about it, I would have known what was happening to me, but it was it was quite upsetting at the time. 
Well, Graham, thank you so much for being so candid and 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 so open about the experience and the impact it had on you physically and and mentally. And I think you're you're right. All such um, events have such a big impact on both, don't they? And um, brilliant to hear that you had good support in your wife. So you you must have had on that moment of that diagnosis after you've had your angiogram. It must have been almost a sense of disbelief in in you. Did you did you sense in yourself something was wrong? You've talked about sleepless nights and obviously an incredibly driven person and the drive at which you were coming at training. Did you have um, an inkling something was up and in which case on your diagnosis, was it that sense of disbelief or was it, was it giving you confirmation of something you sensed in yourself? No, they were worried about me. My exercise tolerance was fantastic. Yep. You know, I looked, I looked fit. You know, as I said, I was lean. I was, you know, I was like a professional footballer. And um, there was one occasion, and again, I want to talk about my lifestyle at that time. I'd gone out for... A lot, of the, a lot of that job managing, you go out and watch other players, you watch other games. And then I can remember I used to go to, I used to live in Nutsford at the time in Cheshire. And I'd gone to watch a game, got back into a little Italian restaurant I used to go to in, in Nutsford. It must have been 10.30. I remember having like a, a pasta for argument's sake and a glass of red wine. And then I had a strong coffee to finish. Because I'd lived in Italy, that's what you do. Yep. And that was totally the wrong thing to do at that time. And I ate to eat so late, what I ate, and then caffeine on top of that. And I was lying on my bed, and I couldn't sleep, and I was getting some, not chest pains, but like a, you know, I was aware that my heart was racing. Yeah. And that, I can honestly say, is the only time I thought, that's that's not good. If it was going to show itself in me, it would have shown itself when I was pushing myself in training, and I come back to, I, I was training three times a day. I just couldn't leave it alone. So if it was going to show itself, it would have shown itself when I was pushing myself in training. That never happened. And it was more to do with, it was Derek Rollins, who was my cardiologist at the time, said, look, the job you do is full on. He was a big Liverpool supporter himself. He said, I know the pressure you're under. He said, um, have the angiogram and, and we'll, we'll make a call on that. So have the angiogram. And he said, ah, if it were me, and I was guided by him, if it were me, I'd go for it. But I never had any obvious symptoms that, there was something major going badly wrong with, with my heart. But of course, the great worry is that you've got to get yourself checked and you've got to be guided by your doctors. And, you know, and I'm still here 30 years later, whatever, 29 years later to talk about it. I think my anniversary was the 7th of April. So I was guided, I was guided by the doctor. It was more to do with the, the pressures of the job and my lifestyle. And they're worried with the family history. And of course, you don't want to have that attack that, that can leave you disabled um, mm. or worst case scenario. You know, it kills you. So and, and I, I like to think that, that people who, when they read about my my situation, or even now when they read about my situation, that, you know, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. You know, if you look at the pictures of me at that time, I, I, I looked like a fit young man, but it still happened to me. So I think a great indicator is your family history. And that was certainly the case in, in my story where the doctor's worried about my family history. If you've got anything that you're worried about in your family history, you've got to go and get yourself checked. You must get yourself checked. And, you know, the, the money that BHF have raised over the decades, improving research, improving treatments, it is incredible. So I go back to 29 years ago for me today because of BHF. You know, we, we, have, now, we have now funded research to make these tests you have less intrusive, more accurate. And the treatments, again, because of the, the money that we raise, um, the treatments are fantastic. And, 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 and I don't want to... I don't want to underplay it and, and oversimplify it, but these, these tests are pretty straightforward now. You can get yourself seen in and out in 
couple hours and you get to the bottom if you've got any issues. Wise words. And I, I agree. The advances, I think, in prevention and diagnosis and treatments have just been so phenomenal that uh, the, there, are, there are lots of ways in which we can help support people who've got concerns or family history at this point. So wise words indeed. You mentioned, uh, and I, I, I thank you for your candor, you mentioned um, the kind of emotional impact as well as the physical um, that this had on you. And I guess uh, what advice might you have for anyone who feels the same today, who, who's going through that same journey? Have you got any wisdom or advice to share with others? I think you talk about it. You ask your doctor, you ask your consultant. Uh, again, I come back to it such a long time ago for me. You know, the, 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 as well as the technology, I think the um, post-operation and the awareness that what can happen to people is enormous now. I was very lucky. I had great people around me, you know, especially my wife. This vision I had of myself at late 30s, you know, I was, I was up for the cup. I was aggressive. I was full on. I was fit. And, you know, this, this just can't happen to me. But it's happened to me, so I'll just deal with it. But I wasn't, I hadn't been warned that there'll be, a, there'll be things happen in your head which you'll find very hard to understand and control. And if someone had said that to me, I would have been able to deal with it a lot better. I found it difficult, but I was lucky I had the right people around me. It happened to me, it can happen to anyone. Um, thank you for that. And you've mentioned heart disease in your family, and my family have been touched by heart disease too, which is why I'm so passionate about the BHF, and it's such a privilege to be part of the team, having lost um, two granddads to, to heart attacks and a grandma to stroke. So we're very mindful of it in our family, and, and uh, uh, as you've said, mindful of the risks and mindful of, of looking after ourselves. You mentioned it, um, you'd had experience of heart disease in your family too. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? I had two uncles. Um, that died in their mid-30s. I can vaguely remember them. But then about three years, what would it have been, about three years before, two years maybe, three years before I had my operation, my father was diagnosed with coronary artery disease and he had, he had a bypass operation. I think he was 70, 71. So I went through that journey with him. So I was, I was fully aware of what you know, I was heading into. And he came through it and he was fine. And I was aware of what the procedure was. You know, because of being a manager of a football club, you have daily contact with a doctor. You know, I'm quite inquisitive, inquisitive person. <laughs> and of course, I, I would be asking the doctor every single question that came into my head. So I was aware of what the procedure involved. I was aware of what happens afterwards in terms of, you know, you have to, how you have to look after yourself. And unfortunately, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't listen to the doctors too well because I did push myself too quickly. And that's, I think, what caused to my infection, partly because of that and partly because I was unlucky. But anyway, I was, I was aware of what I was heading into, unfortunately. Thank you. And you, you've talk, talked a little about your having um, that, the surgery and your recovery and that extended recovery from the infection and, and, uh, and how you kind of managed that. But of course, that wasn't the end of your problems with your heart, was it? You, you, I know you've had events since. Tell us a little about that. And perhaps if you wouldn't mind, a little about the day of your heart attack. It was the best part of 20 years after I'd had open heart surgery. I did have a couple of stents about 10 years after the operation. I had things going on in my head, which again was the first time in my life I got anywhere near that level of strain and pressure that was self-inflicted. And it will never happen to me again. And I'll never allow myself to get that upset and that emotionally in a bad place that I, I gave myself a heart attack. And fortunately, it's not caused me any, any lasting problem. And that really, throughout the whole journey I've been on, in the 28 years, 
was the one and only time that, that I um, I think understand what a heart attack is. But it was scary again. You know, like anyone with a heart attack will tell you it's scary. I'm here still talking about it. Thank goodness. I ended up getting atrial fibrillation, which is not great either. Um, which for, you know, people to understand, your, your heart goes out of sync. You know, you can have your normal heart rate, you know, plodding along very nicely, and it, it starts to go off sync and it races. And, and I ended up having um, an operation for that. And the, the guy's done a great job there. And I'm back to normal. I now exercise most days. And I feel, I feel great. So, I, again, I think I'm not tempting Providence here, but I think I'm a good advert for going to the doctor, getting yourself diagnosed, and if necessary, having surgery or, or maybe just stenting them. Because you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your, those close to you. You owe it to your wife and your children, grandchildren, because they want you around for as long as possible. Don't they just, um, my goodness. And I know that will resonate with so many people listening today. It's often the, the family um, and, and loved ones around uh, someone who goes through a heart attack or a stroke or other event are often uh, devastated as well as the person having it. So how, how have your family been? How are they? And are they still worried about you? Of course, they must be. If you see, if you've seen, and again, and this must be encouraging to people who maybe have been diagnosed with, with issues. I mean, I live a perfectly normal life. There isn't anything I don't do. As I said, I go in the gym five days a week. I play golf three days a week. I'm a keen gardener, believe it or not. And um, there isn't anything. In the summer, I've got some, I'm going hill walking up in the sky. And again, I come back to it because of, because of the BHF and the money they've thrown at research and development of, of the results that they find. We can live a normal life with this, this, this disease. So that's why I say go get yourself seen if you've got any concerns, whether it be a family history or twinges you're getting lying in your bed at night or when you're exercising or anything. Go and see a doctor, get diagnosed and have no fear because you'll be in good hands and you'll be sorted in no time. Great advice that we'd echo as well. There's obviously lots of information on uh, our website and on the NHS's website to help encourage people to take that that step and seek support and help when they when they have any sense of it, as, as you've said, Graham, as well. So how how um, often do you get your heart uh, checked out these days? What's what's your kind of current way of monitoring yourself and looking after yourself? Um, I have my bloods taken twice a year. I have a stress test once a year, but I have to say, when we finish doing this, I'm going to phone up my man, Sunil Talwa who's a top, top cardiologist. And I'm going to book a stress test because obviously with the COVID, it was, it was not a possibility. But I'm due one. You've shared generously your experiences and, and how that felt emotionally as well as the impact it had physically. I guess, um, looking back, is there anything about that journey that you've learned about yourself um, through it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vulnerability, that, I'm, that I wasn't invincible. I can remember vividly, night before the operation, the nurse came in and shaved sort of from neck down. And you're thinking, oh, this is real. I'm going to have this operation. And then um, she asked me to get out of bed and stand on a chair. And then she got a black marker pen and found the, the veins inside my legs. So I'm looking down at her, drawing on my veins that are inside my legs. I'm thinking, hmm, this is for real. Now I get back into bed and I'm looking at myself and, I think I think it was the overriding feeling I got from the whole experience was because I always sort of lived my life full on and I had this I felt I was invincible I can take anything on and I think um, post operation I realised you're just like everybody else we're all the same we're all vulnerable and, and I still need reminding on a regular basis how important life is and, and how you have to take care of yourself 
Thank you. And I understand you've also been on a lab tour, is that right? You went with James Taylor to see a lab at St Thomas's, I think. Is that right? And that must have been fun and interesting. And you sat, you clearly got a deep curiosity about how things work. And um, I can tell that from the questions you've asked your clinicians across the years you've shared with us this morning. How was the lab visit? Did you enjoy it? Incredible. Yeah, you, you see the work they do. It's strange because this obviously happened to me afterward. There was a man on the table having uh, an operation for atrial fibrillation. And ironically, I had that maybe a, know, five, six years after that. Um, but it was just incredible. Yeah, and the passion that these doctors have and the researchers have for their job is incredible. They know how important it is because it's such a, you know, it's such a common disease and they know they're doing their bit for society and they know the, the results they get. You know, I've witnessed it myself. I, I, again, I come back to, I was, I was in good health, having an operation, and then within six months, I was back, nine months maybe. But, but for someone who goes in to have the operation, feeling, you know, like an old man, can't walk up a set of stairs, can't go for a walk with his wife or his grandchildren or with his children, within a couple of months of having an operation, they've regained their lives. They can do everything they thought was gone forever. And again, I come back to it because of the British Heart Foundation that is pioneering research, that is throwing money at research and come up. I was going to say a yearly basis. I might even be on a six-monthly basis. They seem to be coming up with new techniques and new ways of fighting this horrible disease. And, and we must keep raising money. We must keep the foot on the accelerator and going forward and finding new ways to raise money for new research to give the, the doctors and the researchers ammunition that they need to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And we're as passionate as you know about that research as I can hear that you are. And no, it's actually 60 years of BHF this year. And um, for 60 years, the organisation has been at the forefront of cardiovascular advances through that research using the brilliant scientists, researchers and clinicians that you've mentioned already. And it takes all of us, of course, and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without ambassadors such as yourself, Graham. So I was going to ask you, what does it mean to you to be a BHF ambassador? Obviously for... In my world, the football world, I mean, I think um, most people, you know, at 38, most of my contemporaries are thought, well, didn't think that would happen to him. But um, it can happen to anyone. And I think that my story is a, a scary one in, in many ways. That it can happen to someone at 38 was obviously fit. But also a wake-up call, you know, it's, it's, it's putting it out there that this, this, don't think this only happens to people when they get to 70 and beyond. It can happen to anyone. So I think... The fact it happened to me, I'd like to think, has made people sit up and think, I should go and get myself looked at. But I like to think I've helped in some tiny, tiny little way. And it's just about awareness. You know, what can, what, what can I do? I can only bring my story out or put my story out there that people are, will listen to and think, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. And I hope that continues today. And I hope, you know, people will listen to this. If there's one person after listening to this decides, you know what, my uncle was died of this or my dad died of this or whoever close to them and their family, direct descendant, I should go and get myself checked out because I have a child or because I have 10 children or 10 grandchildren, whatever. If you're selfish enough to think it's only about you, then wake up and smell the roses. But think of your, your immediate family and the sadness that if you were to go before your time, how they would feel. You know, because we have tools to fix the vast, vast majority of cases. The surgeons, the fabulous doctors, the researchers, everybody, everybody that's, that's involved can, can help you. And maybe you've got another 25 years on your life, you never know, maybe 30 years. 
thank you for sharing your absolutely incredible story and for being so inspiring and so generous in sharing both uh, your time and also your experiences that I know will be so enjoyed by everyone listening to this podcast and um, and your challenge actually for people to get checked out as well I think that's hugely welcome and I know that people will take that to heart so thank you for everything you do for us at the British Heart Foundation as one of our ambassadors it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today pleasure I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed it The British Heart Foundation is celebrating 60 years of saving lives like Graham's through pioneering research. Over the years, we have poured millions into researching coronary heart disease, heart attacks and the use of stents in order to better understand the causes and to help develop new methods of treatment and prevention. As we celebrate our 60th birthday, our eyes remain firmly fixed on the future and what we hope to achieve over the next 60 years. We want a cure for heart failure, better treatments for stroke, ways to prevent vascular dementia and so much more. The BHF have been part of breakthroughs like heart transplants and pacemakers, stents and clot busting drugs and our goals for the decades ahead are even more ambitious. If you would like to fundraise in honour of the BHF 60th and be part of helping us continue to save lives then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash birthday. For more inspiring stories from our high-profile supporters and our patient community, please listen to and follow the ticker tapes on the BHF website or wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. I'm Charmaine Griffiths. Bye for now. The stories, recollections and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our special guest and not those of the BHF. If you, our listeners, have any health concerns, please seek advice from your GP or health professional. For more information about any of the conditions discussed in this podcast, please visit BHF's website, bhf.org.uk.